Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Several of you are reading a small book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. But there's another book that A.W. Tozer wrote, also very profound. It is called The Knowledge of the Holy, and I want to begin with one line from that book. Tozer writes, We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. That's true. We don't need Tozer to tell us that. Here's a psalm that says the same thing. Their idols are silver and gold. Speaking of Israel as they worshipped these gods, idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths. They don't speak. (laughs) They have eyes. They don't see. They have ears. They don't hear. Noses. They don't smell. They have hands. They don't feel. They have feet. They don't walk. They don't make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You are drawn to the idea of God that you have. And that shapes your life. Jeremiah colors in the lines of the psalmist with more detail and he writes this, quote, they went after worthlessness and became worthless. He's talking about idols. Their gods were vanity, breath, useless, worthless, and those who trusted in them, who had that idea of God, they became just like their worthless gods. Empty, shallow, vain lives. It's not always easy from a larger point of view, to trace a culture's religious ideas of God to that culture's culture, to what that culture becomes. But I assure you, there is a line for any culture between the God that it ascribes to and what that culture becomes. You are drawn to the mental image of God you have, even on a larger scale, a whole society. This is why Poor Socrates, that father of almost all Western thought so many thousands of years ago, he was in Athens and he desired that the young people of Athens before the time of Jesus would live a good moral life. But he ran into a problem, which he himself admitted. The gods of the Greeks were not good or moral. And Socrates realized, how can I urge people to be any better than the gods they worship? It is an impossibility. His solution at that time was, just don't tell the stories about the gods doing bad things. (laughs) Quote, even if those stories are true, Socrates said, I should not think they ought to be thus lightly told to thoughtless young persons, but the best way would be to bury them in silence. Socrates knew what the psalmist exclaimed, what Tozer wrote, and that is, you are drawn to whatever image of God you have in your mind. Whoever God is, whoever you think God to be, your life conforms to that mold. If you claim and love a deity who winks at sin, I promise, you're going to wink at sin. It's not going to be a big deal to you if it's not a big deal to him. 
If you have in your mind a God who is harsh and crushes with impatience those who refuse Him, then you're going to be a harsh, crushing person to yourself, to others. On the other hand, if you have the true God of Scripture as your God, the God who loves sinners, you will love sinners. If you have a God who is generous in His forgiveness of those who offend Him, you will be generous in forgiving those who offend you. You will be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. You are what you eat. You are what you worship. We're continuing today our study in 1 John, this letter of the beloved apostle like we've been talking about. What you need to remember is that John knew God. John himself, the beloved apostle, rested his head on the chest of God incarnate, Jesus, who came to make God known to us. John was there. You saw that last week. He saw him. He heard him. He touched him. He's an eyewitness, and he's telling us now in our text today, what did he see? What did he hear? What did Jesus come to earth to reveal about who God actually is? If you get that wrong, your life will be wrong. But if you get that right, your life will be right. And John is going to tell us this is the summary of who God is as Jesus has revealed him. God is light. Let's see that here, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. When John, after four introductory verses, is kind of holding us in anticipation, this is the message, this is what we've heard, we heard it, we listened to it, it was revealed to us, and when we finally get to verse 5 and he tells us the word of life, this message revealed through Jesus about God, when he finally tells us that's the summary of it, that God is light. This corresponds very well with the beginning of John's gospel, if you remember it. Chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the only God, Jesus, who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And what's happening in our text today is the only God, Jesus, 
making God known first to his apostles. And now what we're reading is his apostle, John, the we, now making Jesus' message known to us. So who is God? Cultures have guessed, and hence the religions of the world. But what we have here is God making himself known through Jesus, his own son, God incarnate, and Jesus making his message known through John, and John proclaiming that message to you. He says, this is the message we've heard. We're proclaiming it to you, and here's the summary. It's not a direct quote of Jesus that we know of, but this is the summary of everything Jesus came to express to us about God. God is light. Our passage today is primarily what we call theology proper, meaning it is something true about God himself. But you notice that's only verse 5, because <laughs> immediately, starting in verse 6 and all the way to verse 10, what John does is he says, this is what we've learned is true about God, that he's light. But all other five verses in our text are, this is what happens to your life if you believe that that's true. In other words, if that's the God you have and worship, you will be attracted to the brightness of who God is. If God is light and that's your God, you will walk in the light. And if you walk in the darkness, that's not your God. <laughs> he says it very bluntly here. So what we have is theology proper, and then we have theology practical. Then we have how it affects your life. But of course, it's starting with what you worship. And then he's making the point you are what you worship. So we're going to look at it under those two kinds of headings here. First, just the way that our text does, we are going to start with God himself. What does it mean that God is light? And then secondly, as we move past verse 5, we're going to consider what does that mean for you if that's your God? So let's begin with the text itself there in verse 5. Our text begins with God, theology proper, and that's what we're going to do as well. Look at this verse again. This is the message we've heard from Jesus and proclaim to you, positively put, that God is light. To say the same thing negatively, in him is no darkness at all. So what does it mean that God is light? We have to be careful here that we don't make this statement mean too much or too little. So let's start with too much. How would you make this statement mean too much? This isn't common, but it has happened in history and does happen today that some people make this statement, God is light, mean too much. They push it too hard by making the is a reference to something true of the very nature or being of God, how he exists, kind of like he exists as a trinity. God is a trinity. They would say God is light, meaning there's something true about his very being, that he is rays and particles of light. Hopefully you don't think that. Probably you don't think that. But I do want to make that clear. That is not what this passage is saying. It's somewhat like how some will take what happens in chapter 4 of 1 John. Twice it said God is love. And some will take that, and mean, take that as meaning God is love more than he's anything else. Or God in his essence is love, and then on the side, he's justice, righteousness, holiness, and so forth. That's not what that means. <laughs> God is light. Does it mean that God in his being exists as a luminous body, rays and particles of light? No. No. 
You were there at Genesis 1 reading it, right? Let there be light. God creates light. He's not what he created. The ancient heretic Manny, sorry if that's your name or your friend's name, but that was an ancient heretic, Manny, and little time after Jesus, he claimed this very thing and actually became very dominant in the ancient Near East. There were a lot of people who were Manichaeans. For a short period of time, this was a popular view. And Manny's claim was, looking at a verse like this, God actually exists as rays or particles of light. He's a luminous body extending outward in all directions. One of the reasons that we know about Manichaeanism today is because that famous church father, Augustine, he was a Manichaean before he came to Christ. In fact, Augustine writes in his confessions to God, I thought that you, Lord God, in truth, were like a luminous body, like actual light, of immense size, and myself a bit of that body. Augustine realized his fault. God is light doesn't mean God's actually made of light. <laughs> okay, don't think that. Augustine realized that was false. Manny never did. May you know that's not true. That's not what we're saying, that God is light. He's not created rays or particles. So then we have to ask the question, if that's not what that means, what does it mean? It's not much use to us if this is the message we have from Jesus, if we don't know what it means that God is light. How can we... On the other hand, not make too little of this. It means something. So what does it mean that God is light? I want to say on the basis of this passage and other scriptures that I'll bring in that to say that God is light, it's a picture, right? It's a metaphor. Not that he's actually light. It is a picture, a word picture that tells us two things about God. It tells us first that God is true. And it tells us, secondly, that God is pure. Truth, purity. That's what it means that God is light. Let me start with the first of these, truth. That light refers to truth is seen really throughout the pages of God's Word. Because what does light do? If we were to turn all of these lights off and close these blinds and cover them up, and this was a completely dark room... You would not know, except by memory, the truth of what's happening in this room. You would be ignorant to it. We use our eyes, other senses too, but primarily it's our eyes that tells us. I wouldn't know which of you were present in this room. You would still be present in this room. That would be the truth. But I wouldn't know it because I wouldn't have light. So light is something that reveals what's true to us. You understand the connection? So if God is light... It means that he is closely connected to, reveals and exposes what is true. So think of truth first. You can see this if you just flip in your Bible over to chapter 2. Look at the 11th verse. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So if there's not light, what is the consequence? You do not know. So if there is light, what is the consequence? You do know. And what do you know? You know truth. You know fact. You know reality. Light reveals to us what is true. It exposes facts. You might remember that Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, given light, that you may 
No. So God, who is light, gives light to the heart, and then you know a fact that you didn't know before. Jesus asserted, quote, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light. Why? Lest his works should be exposed. God is light because he also exposes things that are hidden, facts that are hidden. Light shows us truth. So for God to be light, when John says, this is what we know about God, he's light. It means that God is true, is truth, reveals facts, knows what's true, reveals what's true, exposes what is true. God is not in the business of covering up true things so no one can know them, of deceiving, of tricking everyone. That's not what God does. God is truth. He's not ignorant. He knows what's happening and he makes it known. That's the first thing we find with God is light. The second thing is purity. To say that God is light is to say that God is pure. You see that in verse 5 a little bit because notice how he phrases the second part. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said he's completely light. But he wants to make it clear there's no mixture. It's not like with us, with our light system, we can turn it up 50%, 60%, 70%. He's saying that's not true with God. God's at 100% light at all times. There's not a mixture of darkness. You might remember from James chapter 1, verse 17, the same thing that's said when James says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No darkness at all. This is talking about God's moral character. That's what it means. It means God always does the right thing, and He never, ever, ever does the wrong thing. It's talking about His purity, His purity of action, His purity of intention. God is pure. This was unlike the Greek gods. <laughs> Praise God that we don't have the Greek gods who were not pure. This is a great blessing that we have a God who is entirely pure. There's no taint of immorality. God has never thought a single thought about you that was incorrect, truth, nor that was improper. It's always correct and proper. It's always right. Paul told the Ephesians, the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. So for God to be true means he's morally perfect. He is the right. He does the right. So what does it mean that God is light? He's not raising particles. He is truth and he is purity. Hopefully you see that. It's the idea, right? What else could this mean? It means he's truth. It means that he's purity. That's going to help us now because that's stated in verse 5. That's what you need to believe about God and not everyone does. But that's what you need to believe about God, that he is completely true. Do you doubt him? Do you doubt his word? Do you doubt what he claims that's going to affect your life? That he is completely pure and right. Do you think God's doing wrong? The evil in the world that's difficult for us to explain, has it started to cast doubt upon your thoughts of God's righteousness? That perhaps he doesn't know what's going on? 
perhaps he's not taken the wisest course of action, that's going to affect your life. What you have to believe is that God is light, meaning with no darkness, he's perfectly true and he's perfectly pure. Now, the rest of our passage moves on from that basis to tell you if you do believe that, then you will walk in the light as he is in the light. So now we move from what's true about God, that God is light, and we move into theology practical, which is what does that mean for your life? And John's very clear. It means if you have a God who is light, you will walk in the light. No exceptions. You will walk in the light. Let's see that here with John. Verse 7, skip down to that real quick. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, so see that connection? He's in the light. We walk in the light, okay? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. For now, just think, good. (laughs) It means that's good, okay, what he says there. If we walk in the light, that's good. Skip down to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is. Notice again what's happening. Something you do in your life, confess your sins, and immediately, what is it based on? He is. It's because of who He is. You see that? I hope you see that. Who God is affects who you are and what you do. Okay. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do these good things, forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, those two verses I just read to you, verse 7, verse 9, notice we skipped around. That's because they're interwoven with three verses, 6, 8, 10. It goes back and forth, and 6, 8, and 10, those are bad. Those are darkness. That's what you don't want to do. And seven and nine in between, that's good. That's what you want to do. Those are walking in the light, and the other three are walking in darkness. So that's just how John structured it. You're upset? Blame him. That's, he did that. You know, it's the right way to do it. So what's bad, what's good, what's bad, what's good, what's bad. And all of this has to do with your view of God. And John is saying that if you truly have a God who is a God of light, Truly, you will do those two good things. You will walk in the light. But if you claim that that's your God and you do those three bad things, again, don't blame me. You saw John say this. You're a liar. You are lying. That's what John says. Now, again, he just says if we walk in the light. And we have to say, what does it mean to walk in the light? I mean, here we are. It's light if you walk in this room. Again, away from the physical, this is a word picture And I would argue to you that he's using light in the same way he used it in verse 5. Makes sense? It's the very next verse. Next verses. And how did he use it in verse 5? He used light not to mean rays and particles, but to mean what? Truth and purity. If you don't walk in truth and purity, you do not know God. And... If you know God, you do walk in truth and purity. You can see that right here. Let's just start with truth again, like we did with God. 
He said, if we walk in the light, we're saying that means if you're walking in truth. What does this mean? Well, verse 9, I think, is a perfect description of it. Look at verse 9. What does it mean? If you have a God who is light and therefore you are light, you walk in truth, it means, among other things, verse 9, if we confess our sins. And he sticks that in the middle of 8 and 10, which tell you the opposite. What's the alternative? You don't have to confess your sins. You don't have to walk in the light. You could do this. Verse 8, you could say you have no sin. Or verse 10, you could say you have not sinned in the past. So no sin right now, never sinned in the past, or even after your conversion, I just never sinned after that. You could do that, and John says you're a liar and you're in darkness. But what you could also do, if you have a God who is light, here's how you can walk in truth. Confess your sins. Notice that walking in truth does not mean don't ever sin. We'll see some hard statements by John later, and we'll have to explain those. But here, if you're confessing your sins, it means you sinned, doesn't it? I mean, otherwise, what are you confessing? So you're going to see, even at the start of chapter 2, John says, I'm writing this to you because I don't want you to sin, but if anyone does sin. John's a realist. He knows that after you come to Christ, you may start walking in the light, but there's still going to be a temptation to sin. So we are not, and I want to reiterate this as often as I can throughout the book of John, When John gives these strong statements, even here, walk in the light, walk in truth, confess our sins, he's talking not about complete obedience, he's talking about characteristic obedience. You understand? Not complete, that means you're not perfectly walking in light, but if someone looks at your life, they say, on the whole, this is someone who walks in the light, walks in truth, characteristic The Christian who has a bright God is going to walk in a bright way. You might think I'm presenting this rather firmly and strongly, but look, I'm not presenting it any stronger than John is. I mean, did you read that passage? And John does that often. He just presents, and he's beloved. He's the beloved disciple, okay? He's a loving guy. But here you see just very clearly stated, and the point John wants to make to you is, if you live your life like a propagandist, you don't know God. If the way you present yourself to others, characteristically, the way you present yourself to others is like watching or listening to or reading news media from Hitler's Nazi Germany or Mao's China or Putin's Russia, where you are presenting things that are utter fantasy, they are propaganda. They are made up, but the point of propaganda is to convince others of something not true. If that's the way you live your life, that's characteristic of you, you're in darkness. Do you see that? He's saying, we confess our sins if we walk in the light. It is hard enough to just live one life, and some of you must be exhausted living at least two, maybe three lives. There's a life you live all during the week, and then there's the life you live on Sunday, or there's the life you live when no one else is around, and then there's the life you live with your family, and then there's the life you live with your coworkers. That's exhausting. And here we say, no, no to that. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means no more of the facades. Those are fantasies. Those are made up. 
You remove all of that. You let the light of God dispel the mists or the close fabrications that you've carefully crafted to convince everyone how great you are when you're not. Verse 9 says, here's how you walk in the light. You don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to be as great as you maybe present yourself to be to others. You have to confess your sins. This confess is in the present tense, and it suggests an ongoing confessing. This is a way of life, not just once at a Billy Graham crusade one time. We're talking about a way of life. Those who walk in the light, it's like being up here, right? The lights are on, and you can, you know, sometimes you have to walk out while I'm preaching. I know that could be awkward for you, okay? But because everyone can see you, right? Because you're in the light, and that's fine. You can do that. But you're in the light, It's not like we shut all the lights off, then you can sneak your way out. Nobody's going to know. But here with light, then it's clear. And that's what John is saying to you. If you walk in the light, if you're open, this is who you are. If we confess our sins, we're not making propaganda. We're not disguising, disguising ourselves like the devil as an angel of light when at home we're the devil. No. There are a lot of ways that Any of us can try to hide our second life. (laughs) We could say, for example, as we pursue sin characteristically, as we walk in the darkness Monday through Saturday, we could say, well, I'm just investigating. And that can be true, and that can also be a way to just keep sinning. You understand? It's propaganda. Maybe you're not just investigating. Maybe you just love sin. That's one way to walk in darkness. Sometimes we can throw out trite phrases like, well, I'm only human. You know, just human. You know, if I'm out late on Saturday partying, hook up with somebody, you know, but I'm just, I'm just human. Surely God doesn't expect more of me. Well, then what do you do with this passage? Or we'll say things like, well, God's a forgiving God. That's his job. He forgives. He forgives those who walk in the light. Did you see that? If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus covers our sins. He doesn't apply that to those who walk in the darkness. Judge not lest you be judged. It doesn't matter if I judge you. The question here is, does God judge you? These phrases are not a defense. If, if we use them to defend a lifestyle characterized by darkness, by unreality, But, the scripture interjects, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then and only then are we true Christians. To walk in the light is to shut down the ministry of propaganda that we all create for ourselves. And it's not to be, again, perfectly, completely transparent and share every deep, dark secret with everyone you ever meet. We're not talking about that. But again, characteristically, who I see you as That's who you are. There's some details I don't know, and that's fine. But you're not actively trying to hide a life characterized by sin by being very good and upright here and now. You are confessing your sin. You are walking in the light very openly. You are confessing your sin, verse 9, as opposed to making more excuses for it. There are external factors to why we do what we do, but they don't decide it. So you might live your life 
saying, well, I know I'm characterized by sin, but you don't understand my parents. You don't understand my upbringing. You don't understand my mental disorder. You don't understand my neighbors. You don't understand my roommates. You don't, look, I don't understand. I don't understand them. But this is scripture, and it says, not if we excuse our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess, to confess is to agree with God. It's to stop pointing everywhere else. They, oh, you did it, you, you know, with Adam in the garden is the woman, oh, is the snake. And it's just to finally stop, come out from behind the fig leaves and say, God, it was me. I'm the man with David to say, I'm the one who has sinned and I don't have an excuse. That's to confess our sins. It's really not easy for any of us to do that. So let's all take off our little masks for a second. Even as believers, if you walk in the light, you know it's not easy to confess your sins. And we all do first try the best we can to squirm out of the grip of conviction. <laughs> Surely there's another explanation than that I did a bad thing. Like, no, you just did a bad thing. That's why there's a promise given if you walk in the light. If we confess our sins, look at God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The reason you can walk in the light is because God is light. It says that he is faithful. That means he's going to keep his end of the commitment. And you see it right here in this verse. What's his end of the commitment? If you confess your sins, he'll forgive you for every last one of them. And he will cleanse you richly from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and he's going to do that. And it says he's just, meaning he's righteous. Again, it's the purity of his moral character. He's a merciful, good God. He wants you to turn, to confess your sins, and to be forgiven. Look. If it didn't say that in the second part of verse 9, that he's faithful and just to forgive you, and you were just being called to confess your sins, I'd run with you. I mean, what a terrifying thing to bring all my sins out in the open, no longer to trick myself about who I really am, no longer to try to trick God about it or others, but just to say, this is who I am with all of my deep, dark corruptions. That's a terrifying thing. If we didn't have a cross that was up on Calvary to prove to you what verse 9 says, that God is faithful, that God is just, if you didn't have that sort of God, if you didn't have evidences that His mercy is that great toward those who repent and look to Christ, then I would go with you and call out to the mountains, fall on me, protect me from the wrath of God and of the Lamb. But that's why it says, He is faithful and just. You're not coming out of the darkness to a God who says, finally. You're coming out of the darkness to a God who says, finally, and embraces you. So to walk in the light can be scary. To really bring out of the garbage of your storage hold of your heart all that you are and really think, that can be scary to confess even to God. And yet God is there, faithful and just, and his promise is this, you'll be forgiven from everything. You'll be cleansed from all filthiness, all unrighteousness, so that God may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. That's what the cross represents. That's what he was doing on the cross, an example of mercy that God welcomes sinners. So if you're here and you choose, even knowing that about God in verse 9, 
Even knowing that you still are going to make the choice to simply minimize, cover up, and bury your sins. Going to keep those secrets here, not telling God, not even telling myself, telling no one. Going to live my two lives, have my external life the way I want it, have my internal life the way I want it. Then here are the consequences as Scripture gives them. Verse 8, you're tricking yourself. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in you. Verse 10, what's worse, you are making God a liar. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, and you say, but not me. Or you act that way, says, you are making God a liar, and his word is not in you. All of us naturally live in a dark cloud, deceiving ourselves, deceiving others, blaming God, and that's the pinnacle of our rebellion against God It's one thing to trick yourself, and you all know someone who's in that place. You see what's going on in their life pretty clearly. Like, why is their life a total mess? Because the decisions they're making. But to them, trick themselves. It's everyone else. It's the government. It's the parent. It's everybody else. It's not them. You get to that place when you're walking in the darkness. We all naturally start right there. And eventually, you even blame God. In this case, it says you make him a liar. You're willing to make God a liar to prove your own self-justifications of why you're not wrong. It's audacious. You need to hear from the whirlwind what Job heard. God says, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? God is standing here this morning saying, outside of Christ, all you have to offer God is sin. And if you want to say, uh, no, that's not true, somebody's lying. And First John is saying, you're lying. It's, you've tricked yourself maybe even. You might believe that, but that's because you've deceived yourself. So there you are with Adam hiding in the garden. You don't want God to see. It's shameful. You don't want anyone to see who you really are. And you're hiding and you're not surrendering it to God. And the call of this passage from a God of light is here he is welcoming you out. He said, Adam, where are you? As if he didn't know. And he's calling to you the same thing. Where are you? As if he doesn't know. Who are you? Confess your sins to me. Come out from the fig leaves. Come out into the garden. I'm welcoming you out. And this day, God's welcoming you out of a life of darkness. He's welcoming you out of a split life that's complicated to live into one that's whole, that has integrity, but it requires a confessing of sin. You don't have to live in that dark corner over there, afraid, volatile, if anyone tries, poking at who you are. No, get away from me. You don't have to live on eggshells like that. You can come out into the light and God will not squash you. God will accept you because of what Christ has done on the cross. Awake, O sleeper, says the scriptures, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. There you are in the darkness, come out and you'll be shown on. And that's scary because that means confessing our sins, bringing them out into the light. But Christ will shine on you. You sleeper, you don't have to sleep anymore in the darkness. You can awaken. You can live life as it was meant to be lived in a right relationship with God. Now you might be wondering as I'm saying this, When he says confess our sins, are we talking about confess it to people? Are we talking about confess it to God? There is a human element to confession. 
And there certainly, if you walk in the light, will be a willingness not to confess every deep, dark cavern of your soul to everyone you meet, but there will be a willingness like we read at the end of James where he says, confess your sins to one another. So there will be some degree, if you're walking in the light, some degree of you confessing your sins to others. You may find it helpful, as I do and others, to have an accountability partner or an accountability group. People you meet with, you trust, you meet them regularly, you share your sins, they hold you accountable. But I do think what John mainly has in view is not that. It mainly is a confession before God. Stop tricking yourself. God is the one shining the bright rays of his own being down onto you and You've got to walk out into that and be exposed before him. Terrifying as it may be, but that is the nature of faith. So, if you have a God of light, you walk in light first by walking in truth. But there's more. Secondly, we said light also means purity. And here at this final point, for you to walk in the truth is for you to walk in purity. See this in verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There are some people who see in these verses walking in the light as nothing more than just admitting your sin. Based on verse 9. So, in other words, you could continue living uh, any sort of life you want to. Uh, you could party every weekend if you want to. You could live with whoever you want to and do whatever you want to. Your life doesn't have to look any different than an unbeliever's life at all as long as you're open about it. So just openly walking in sin, to some people, that's what this is saying. We're walking in the light. I admitted it. The end. However, maybe you could make the verses mean that if you just tear out the rest of your Bible. Because even in 1 John we're going to see that's not how he views the general Christian life. I mean, we'll see this a lot, but just look at chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's not whoever says, I know him, doesn't keep his commandments and won't admit it, that's a liar. He says, you don't keep his commandment. Again, not complete characteristic. You're living in disobedience. I look at your life. I look at an unbeliever's life. I look back, look back. These pictures are the same. If it's the same in your life and an unbeliever's life, no distinction. John is saying you're not walking in the light because there is not only truth, but there's an element of purity, of moral character involved in walking in the light. John says this in part because there were false teachers in his day known as Gnostics, and they taught crazy things, among which were, uh, some of them would say, because spiritual things matter, bodies don't matter. They're just bodies. They're evil. They're bad. And so anything I do in the body, it's fine. I can sleep with anybody. That's totally fine. It's just in the body. But my spirit is pure. John is saying hogwash, absolute hogwash, saying if you're living a life of immorality, indulging the flesh, that characterizes your life. And you say, oh, I have no sin. My spirit is pure, you know, or I've not sinned. He says, you're a liar. You're tricking yourself. You're not tricking God. I really hope um, that the idea of carnal Christianity, if you're familiar with that, I hope we can say that that's mostly dying out 
This was very popular several decades ago. There are traces of it. It was Dallas Theological Seminary, which has some good teachers over there. But several decades ago, they really, some of the teachers were really pushing an idea of carnal Christianity. And the idea was that you can trust in Christ, but be carnal, which means fleshly. In other words, you could live just like an unbeliever, but as long as you went up to the altar and you prayed the prayer and you signed the card, you are a Christian, you have eternal security, you're fine, you're set. I dread how much damage that false view has done in the world. How many people have gone up to an altar and prayed a prayer, lived with no change in their life, but felt a confidence that, well, I'm a Christian, I'm just a carnal Christian. John has a name for carnal Christians, and it's unbelievers. If you walk in the darkness, you are tricking yourself. Not complete characteristic. I would say that there's been a lot of confusion on this even in the church. If someone is just really living in sin, it's just kind of like, well, at least they say Jesus and they just, you know, they just struggle with that. Just like unbelievers, nothing's changed, nothing ever changes. They're exactly what they were before they knew Christ, but they prayed, but they believed. And John is calling all of that out. He says, no, you have to walk in the light. A lot of the confusion on gender today, which for many can be troubling and you're looking at it and you have someone who is male making the claim that they are female. And you may look at that and feel like that's the most obvious thing in the world. They have every characteristic of a male. How can they live in a fantasy thinking they're a female? But when you point, you know you've got these fingers pointing back because here within the church, how many times have people in the world been able to say that? You say, I'm a Christian. And people look and they go, but you have every characteristic of an unbeliever. But I'm a Christian. How? <laughs> There's no change in your life. That's what John's calling out. He says, for you to walk in the light is not just to confess your sin, but it also involves a purity. Not a perfect purity, but a change from when you were not born again to when you were born again. There's a change that happens in your life. As one preacher put it, you can say you have a new relationship with Jesus, but if you don't have a new relationship with sin you don't have a new relationship with Jesus. True believers walk in the light. This, brothers and sisters, is not a call for you to work hard to earn salvation. <laughs> Some of you are squirming, feeling uncomfortable. Is he telling us to earn salvation? No, but you see the text. What am I supposed to do with that text? You see what he's saying very directly? The fact is that if you have a God of light, you trust in Christ, you're renewed in this relationship with the God of light. It's not that then you have to work hard to walk in the light, it's that you will walk in the light. Your life will experience a change. And if you look at yourself and there's no B, C, A, D difference, then you're still B, C. That's what John is saying. If you're living a double life, hiding your sin, you're not walking in truth, then you're not a believer. If, on the other hand, you're open, but you're just living exactly like the world in no purity, no change whatsoever, you're not a believer. But brothers and sisters, it doesn't have to be this way. 
And for those who come out of hiding in the garden and look to Christ upon the cross, yes, look to yourself for just a second to see, is this true of me? Am I walking in the light? But don't look long, okay? Because then immediately look out to God. Because like I said, this passage is not mainly a passage about what we do. This is primarily theology proper. This is a passage that's meant to turn your eyes away from yourself, away from the world, onto a God who is light, who is faithful and just, who forgives, who is generous, who welcomes you out of darkness into light, and himself is perfect in his character, so that when you walk out, he will not crush you, but embrace you. And if you fix your eyes upon him, and upon the light of the world hung like a torch on the cross, and you look there, then you gain the confidence to walk out of a life of darkness into a life of light. And may that be true for everyone here. Let's pray together. Father of lights, Lord, we love what we see of your light. We grieve when we don't see as much of it in ourselves as we would like, but we are grateful for the work you've started in us as your people, that you have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, and for anyone who looks at our life, they can see it, not completely, but characteristically, there is a difference. I pray you'd make that difference stronger. And as we continue to gaze upon your brilliant glory, the unapproachable light which surrounds you, I pray we'd be changed from one degree of brightness to another. That you'd even turn up our light. That we'd be like a city on a hill, promoting, adorning the doctrine of God. Please grant that we would walk in the light as you are in the light. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.